All right. Well, we're going to get into our message today. I do want to give you uh, quickly just a couple updates about the building project. Um, we are still working on floors. And if you saw any video this week, I showed you that my 12-year-old boys, within about 10 minutes or less, had learned how to run the floor buffers that we're using. So it is something that you can, you can handle and we can teach you. Uh, we can use the help. There are things I need to get on this week that if I'm there running a buffer that I, I will not get done and we need to push hard. When I tell you that it is possible to maybe finish this building up in a couple months, that is if we have all hands on deck, everybody in a valiant effort to get done. Let me talk to you about a few things that the ladies have been talking to me about. Because of staying with concrete floors, we would have a lot of echo, and it'd be impossible to really have the kind of worst experience we have with that echo. So there are sound ending panels that need to be made. Those are easy. There's a YouTube video that shows how the men can help and make the frame for it. We need to find the right material, the fabric. Um, old towels is what you put in them. That's actually the best way to fill them. So very simple design plan. Those are things that we, we could have folks organizing to get that done, uh, whatever sewing, whatever putting that together. Uh, the floors, we're going to be building the stage and sound booth this week. And so that about midweek, we'll be getting the lumber delivered for that and trying to finish that. Um, plenty to do. There's doors now that are hung that weren't hung. Uh, as of Saturday, Nathan and his mom and uh, I went and they helped hang doors. Don Williamson's been there helping. So there's plenty to do. Uh, see me about some of that. Now, when it comes to uh, the panels and all, I handed off to uh, Sister Pat and Belinda some information on that, and there'll need to be some clarification, I'm sure, from me. But uh, we need to ramp it up because that it will take time, all of that, from finding the material to do it. So if we want to be done in two months, it's going to be all hands on deck is what I'm telling you. So make sure that you, uh, you find a way to serve if you can. Prayer, if you are not physically able or schedule cannot uh, permit you to be there, pray. Pray hard because you know what? We've been praying for several months that God would send me someone to come alongside. Nathan has a full-time job. He's out there every minute he can, and Nathan knows construction. But during the day when he's not there, I'm just losing my oomph, if I can tell you that. You know, it's been over a year in actual construction, long hours, and I'm not complaining, but I'm getting to where I'm kind of losing my, my wind, if you will. And we prayed, and a guy who was a part of the start of New Song, who is well-versed in construction, got sent to us uh, over the weekend, and he just has a super heart to help us. Mike Eney, Mike and Lana Eney, they came at the very start of New Song. We used to meet on Wednesday nights where Centerton Hardware is, and he helped us kind of build that space for that. But Mike came in, helped Saturday. He's planning to come and help more. And so God is, is providing. Um, we also had a donation this week. Um, we want, someone wanted to remain honest, gave $1,000 towards the finishing of the floors. So God is providing in many ways and, and, is, and is good God. Um, so anyway, well, I was going to do the reminder about filling the seats, but uh, <laughs> you may not want to shake my hand after church or, get to, or hug me until uh, I get cleaned up here. But it is done. I'm hearing those words like Jesus, it's finished. All right, well, let's get into God's Word. We started in this series, Operation Red, and, uh, and it is all about the, letter, the red letters in some of our Bibles that spell out what Jesus' actual words, his teachings were. And last week, we looked at um, the righteous sinner. Uh, basically, that you know the Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. We need the righteousness of Christ shining through us because otherwise... To the world, we're nothing but filthy rags. And even when they persecute us for looking and acting like Jesus, the thing is, your strength is found on his glory, his righteousness, not on our own. And so it's important for that. But this week, 
I, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about, I'm concerned about the future of the church, not just this church, but as a whole in the United States. And, and I have this question, are we stronger now than we were 10 or 20 or 30 years ago? Now, as we age, it's a natural progression to start looking at the younger generation who seems now foolish because we've finally got to the age maybe we think our parents did know something. And so we're starting to be in agreement with them on much more than we used to be. And then we see the younger generation. Oh, what foolish little ones, you know. And, and it happens. And the Bible cautions us about being too much about focusing on the good old days, you know, because that says it's foolishness. But I still have to beg the question, you know, we might think 10 years ago the church was better, but did we still have maybe sister so-and-so that couldn't help but gossip or a brother so-and-so that couldn't help but, but lie? And, you know, it just seemed like there was always problems in the church. Clear back to Paul in prison, writing to the churches about all the issues they were having. So, so we know that the church had issues all along, but are we getting better or worse? And one of the issues is, I think about this building project. You know, when I walk around now, it's like I have x-ray vision because I've been able, I didn't know anything about commercial projects, reading blueprints, but now almost two years in the making of talking to architects and talking to engineers and being on the phone every week and sometimes long hours. You know, I can walk to a point in the building and I can remember that right in this one spot, I put this special configuration of rebar in the concrete before we poured the slab because there was going to be a wall setting there that had to have extra strength for bearing. And there's strategically things placed so that when we grow, we can expand, and it doesn't look like we expanded. So I'm walking around, I can remember this pipe in the wall and why we put that there. And I can remember this thing in the floor. And it's really one of the neat things I've got to experience in this building project. Um, but there are things that are there for structural integrity. Because if they weren't there, the building may collapse. Building codes, in the spirit of them, were really created to protect us, Right. You know, these horrible slum lords that they talk about, you know, where they, they had things built cheaply and then a whole apartment complex, people are wiped out because of a fire because certain things weren't done by code. And, and so that's the heart of it. Now, my architect who has done a lot of our churches and his dad was in, uh, in the RV Maps Volunteers, you know, he'll say, there's a lot of those are ridiculous. They don't really do anything for the building, just somebody wanted to be smart and come up with a rule. And so some of them we do them just to be doing them. But... But there is a structural integrity to it. Otherwise, that building could lie in ruin. And that's the title of the message today. Stu structural integrity or lying in ruin. And we're going to talk about the word integrity. You know, in Webster's Dictionary, it says the word integrity evolved from the Latin adjective integer, which uh, the meaning is whole or complete. That means that lack of integrity, there is something missing. That, that you're not whole or complete when you lack integrity. In this context, it says, integrity is the inner sense of wholeness, deriving from qualities such as honesty, inconsistency of character. And as such, listen to this, Webster's Dictionary says, one may judge that others have integrity to the extent that they act according to the values, the beliefs, and principles they claim to hold. You remember Devin preached Wednesday night and he said that to be a Christian means what? I'm going to quiz you like he did. What does that mean? What does the word Christian really mean? Little Christ, right? I had a hand raise I should have called on. Someone had that answer. Little Christ. So let me ask you something. If you willingly in your walk at any point choose to not act like a little Christ, do you have integrity? 
No, because that means there's a lack of wholeness. Being whole, being whole like Christ, being holy like him. Are we going to ever be perfect? No, not until we reach heaven when we're perfected by him. But we will never be Christ even then. We'll never replace him or be equal to him. The, that's, that's the issue. You know, I heard the story of this wealthy businessman. He was a multimillionaire, and he was on his deathbed. They were telling him, you may not live to even the end of the week. And listen, I've been there with people in that. Some of you have met Sandy Haynes, that right now she's not here. She's dealing with cancer again. But I remember the first round with cancer where she was found unconscious. I was, um, I was pastor here, and she had worked for me at Walmart, and they said, I remember the moment when they told a friend and me, you better find out what family she has and call them in. They need to make arrangements. She won't make it till tomorrow. And I remember the prayer on that Sunday when we prayed and we felt like electricity in there and we prayed. And by three o'clock that afternoon, her friend calls, you're not going to believe this. Everything's turned around. The doctors are talking about taking her off the machines. And within months, I couldn't keep up with her. She was so busy running around doing things. You know, I remember at Walmart, some of you heard the story about Sam Haynes, who I didn't even know him, but on the way to work in this little Ford Festiva, all 250 pounds of me, started wrestling with God to pray for this guy they'd given 24 hours to live. I didn't know him, but I knew he had impacted enough people at Walmart, they were renting buses to go to Joplin to the hospital say goodbye to him. And I remember God telling me, to, I just didn't hear an audible voice, but he said, pray for Sam today and get people to pray. And I was like, God... First of all, you have to ask permission to have prayer meetings at Walmart, and that's a process. Two, I don't know him, and I'd already been involved with the sustainability movement. Uh, it's a long story, but um, there was risk of me looking like I was showboating off this guy's suffering by trying to be the one to lead a prayer thing. That's how I was seeing it. Uh, it you'd have to be me at that time to know, but I was already God. I can't do this. People think I'm trying to draw attention to myself being the Christian, you know, because I don't know him. And we had all that in my head. And literally by the time I got to work, that little Ford Festiva, I could just shake and that car would move, right? And I'm literally shaking that steering wheel and that car. I'm sure if somebody looked at me in the parking lot thought I was about to have an explosive bit of anger. If I was like, God, I'm going to ask five Christian managers. I knew five Christian managers. They can say no or they can say yes, but I'm going to ask them. And I emailed them. We had 70 people outside of that building that day praying it down for Sam. And he lived. God let him live another four months for him to become a Christian, tell his testimony. And then he passed. And his family, who had never been in church, didn't have a pastor, said, hey, that preacher at, that he talked about at work, have him do the funeral. And with 150 people at his funeral, with my VP standing next to me, I preached a salvation message. That's the thing. is It doesn't have to be a pastor. You as a layperson in your job, if you walk with integrity in the Lord, God will open doors. If you, if you get asked the hard things, like, will you pray for this person? Well, that's just not me, God. But you step out and say, Lord, uh, I will do what you ask. I don't have integrity because I say I'm a little Christ. And so if you're asking me to do something, if I'm going to become like you, I need to be obedient and do that. And those are things that happen. That's not to toot my horn because I argued with God. I'm telling you, I was doing wrong instead of just doing what I should. But this wealthy businessman, you know, he's on his deathbed and this pastor comes in that he had had a little familiarity with and this guy hadn't been in church and the pastor begins praying for him and this this guy who maybe has a week to live says you know i'm just so just so overwhelmed and if god would heal me i'd give a million dollars to your church and the pastor like many of us do when somebody brings monetary things into you know moment we're trying to be spiritual and we're afraid they'll think we're doing it for the wrong reasons i'm sure he's kind of trying to do this little song and dance to get around that what he said, but but the guy reiterated, you know, if God healed me, I'm telling you, I'd give a million dollars to your church. Well, lo and behold, the guy gets healed. He doesn't come to church, and weeks later, the pastor runs into him at a little cafe, 
comes up and says, man, I am so amazed from what the doctor said. You're healed, and that's awesome. They begin to talk about that day, and it comes up about the million dollars. The pastor says, you know, that's awesome. You made that commitment to the Lord. He says, oh, I said that? Well, that just shows you how sick I really was. You know, how many times have we told God we'd do something and when we're in a pinch and we need something and then things get better and we're like, oh, he knows I was just in a, you know, he knows how really sick I was, how really confused I was, how really desperate I was. He wouldn't really expect me to do that. Years ago, there's a book published entitled The Day America Told the Truth and it told about statistics, not just Christians, but anybody about how bad it was, uh, how bad integrity is and the value people place on it or not place on integrity. And listen to these statistics. They're staggering. 91% stated they lie on a regular basis. 91% of the people you walk around day by day are okay with and do at least habitually lie 91% of the time. Or 91% of the people are lying um, on a regular basis. 86% said they lie to their parents regularly. 69% stated they lie to their spouse consistently. No wonder divorce rates are so high. 75% say they lie to their friends. 50% said they regularly called in to work sick, but were not sick. Do you know Walmart Corporation, Walmart Corporate Office, that in the stores, they know that you have to over-schedule by 20%, counting on 20% of the people calling in to work. Now, how many people are, uh, is everybody at least sick 20% of the time of their year? Some of us may, if you have a lot of kids and they are incubators for all that, (laughs) the germs, you probably might. But on a regular basis, no. And I'm not taking a survey this morning, thankfully, because I wouldn't want to raise my hand on some of this myself. But in another study between Christians and non-Christians, adults, Christian adults, it was discovered that almost the same number of professing Christians stole from their workplace as non-Christians. They found that professing Christians are just as likely to falsify our income taxes, commit plagiarism, give bribes to obtain a building permit, ignore construction specs, illegally copy computer programs, steal time from work, exaggerate our products, products, and selectively obey the law. Hopefully we're not one of those among them, but what does Jesus teach us about having integrity? And that's what we're looking at in Operation Red today, structural integrity or lying in ruin. Matthew chapter 5, the fifth chapter of Matthew, if you're looking in the New Testament, you run across Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. If you come across any of those, go back to Matthew, the fifth chapter. We're going to look at a couple, a few verses, verses 33 through 37. This says, Again you have heard that the law of Moses says, Do not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. Verse 34, But I say... Don't make any vows. If you say, by my heaven, it's a sacred vow because heaven is God's throne. And if you say, by the earth, it's a sacred vow because the earth is his footstool. And don't swear by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Verse 36, don't even swear by my head, for you, can tur- you can't turn one hair white or black. You can shave them off, but you cannot change their color without a little dye. Verse 37, just say simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Your word is enough. To strengthen your promise with a vow shows that something's wrong. If you have to add something to it to convince people you're telling the truth, um, you know, I used to feel bad about saying truthfully, or I'll tell you the truth, and people are like, why, do you usually lie? But Jesus actually said it quite a bit. I tell you the truth. 
And the difference in that situation is he's not swearing by anything. He's just flat out telling you, my yes is yes, my no is no. I tell you the truth. The scripture is encouraging us and telling us, convicting us to say, don't, don't be quick to make vows by silly things. Um, you know, by my head. I guess that was a thing back then, by my head. Well, this is the most important part. If it's missing, you're in trouble. So I guess that would make sense to, to, for them to swear by their head when they were trying to be really serious. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 12, do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. This is why it really bothers me, young people. There's, there's um, something we've lost in, in church culture, if you will. I'm not big on church culture, but here's something we've lost that's really more biblically sound than it is church culture. OMG, could I ask you to ditch that? Because you know what you're saying, oh my God. But are you calling on him or are you using him for filler, for excitement or whatever? Oh my gosh, guess where that came from? It's those who are trying to transition now saying, oh, gee, and they threw that. <laughs> Cheez-Its. Nobody says Cheez-Its? Well, guess where? You got, you got to get away from saying Jesus, you know, in vain, and you move. What I'm saying is this. We've been having this little fun, and i gotta, I got to be careful not running out of time because there's some really good stuff God's giving me in this message. But, but um, this wasn't in first service. But, boys, what have I been challenging not to do when we talk? Um, or like. Um, or like. And I would probably say it in my message now. So I'm very conscious of that. It's making me, um, or like. What I'm trying to teach my kids is don't use fillers to say what you need to say. Say what you say. And it's not about just being a good speaker. It's about just get to the point. And, and don't feel like you've got to. It's a confidence thing. We do that. I used to know there's someone really high up at Walmart. Nathan's going to grin. Q grin. Because we both know this guy. And he was a talented leader. And they brought him into one of the highest positions. But it was painful to hear him talk because it was like, um, every two seconds. Um, um, um. And you'd be like, and I found myself counting them because I couldn't get to what he was saying. So I just start counting the ums for entertainment. Um, when my mom and dad, when they were fairly new at Rogers First Assembly, pastor there 19 years, there was a certain man that they'd ask him to pray. And he'd say, Lord, a lot in his prayers. Like, like God was forgetting he was talking to him. And so my sister and I ended up starting counting our fingers how many times he said it until mom pinched me, you know, <laughs> looked down while she was praying. She wasn't paying attention to praying either. She's looking at us pinching. She was probably annoyed by all the Lords put in there too. Are we really saying what we need to say to the Lord? Are we being people of integrity that our word is our bond so we're careful with our words? That's the point. I'm not trying to make a big mountain out of a molehill when I talk about getting rid of the ums and all. All I'm saying is if your focus is on being careful with your words, it does change how you try to talk. It changes what you're conscious of what you're saying because you want to be careful with your words. That's why I'm very careful putting things in writing. If I get a disgruntled letter from someone in the congregation, I, I, I may or may not answer that by letter. And the reason is, I learned at Walmart, you cannot put anything, if you're going to be a good leader, that's either neutral or negative in writing and it end well for you at all. My mentors always told me, if it's negative or neutral, you need to have that in person or at least follow up quickly with that because you can read so much into negative or neutral things and change it. Positive, everybody likes to hear, you're doing great, Belinda. Really like what you're doing in the worst team. Like that you played that horn. You know, I didn't know she was a little smudged yet, and I think you taught me when I was in junior high. If there's polishing racks, you see what I'm saying? Now, if I put that in writing, she might not see the smile on my face and the joking my, on my tone. Uh, she was razzing me for service. She was holding the trumpet up like, you want to play? She knows I was last chair the whole time I was in... <laughs> She knows I'm not going to get up there and embarrass myself. So, Henri, she does make the, sorry, Mom, she makes the best baked beans I have ever tasted in my life. All right, 
Get back to the word. We don't have time. We don't have time for this. Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to, uh, to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. Do you read the tone and what the words are saying? When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself to a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. I know it's hard for my parents to come here because they get used for examples and things, and it's my kids. Everybody hates it. But listen, that's my life. I have my testimony to share with you. I want the word to illuminate the testimony, not the testimony to overshadow the word. But, but I'm going to tell you that my parents uh, taught me a lot, of, a lot of things growing up. And, and I remember mom and dad said they did not want me to, to make vows to people, couldn't got to keep. They didn't want me to borrow or lend money because I was not old enough to make those kind of commitments and make sure they were kept and be accountable, hold people accountable. There's things like that. But they for sure taught me not to tell the Lord that you're going to do something and not to do it. Deuteronomy 23, 21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you and you will be guilty of sin. As we read these passages, we can see that God is placing great emphasis on being truthful, about having integrity. If we make a promise, if we make a vow, if we tell somebody we're going to do something, we should keep that vow. We should keep that promise. God's telling us to not quickly enter into making a promise or, or swear an oath without first considering the consequences of not being able to fulfill our promises. Young people, the OMG thing, I know that's tough. You're like, I didn't mean anything. I didn't know. And I, I, I get it. Sometimes by innocence, we don't know. And, and here's the deal. It's what I'm more concerned about for you is, yes, the Lord's name. We don't want to trample on that. But more so, your words are powerful because you know the truth now. You're hearing the word of God every week. And God is increasing your uh, authority. He's increasing your impact on others. Whether you realize it or not, he is beginning to change you and giving you authority to speak into other people's lives. And as you yield your will and allow the Holy Spirit to work through you, you'll begin to say things to people you won't know. Where did I get that? How did I know that about them? And so you need to be careful that you don't use your words flippantly around people because they're becoming even more and more powerful as you know more and more of the truth. They are. When we are saved, we have no more of Jesus than we can have in us now, right? We are no more forgiven than at the moment of salvation. But sanctification, that word I've brought up many times, that big um, term, that theological term, it's just the idea of today I may struggle with lying, but as God helps me and I overcome that, I become more and more truthful and I'm moving further and further away from that sin. That's the process of sanctification. Further from sin, closer to being like Christ. And so that is our strive is to be always changed. So we need to work on being careful what we say. As we learn that something's not good or healthy for us, we begin to abandon that. And that's a conversation I had with Johnny Arnold this week. We are talking about the Lord. I went, went and, and visited with him. And we are talking about the struggle of God changing you. Every day you have to be purposeful. In this day, I'm going to take something that keeps tripping me up, and I'm going to get rid of that so I can spend time with the Lord. And as I give up the things that trip me up and dedicate the time to the Lord, next thing I know, it might be a year later, two years later, five years later, I look back and say, wow, look how far I've come. It's like that last message. I brought up those transformation things. We, we showed the boys because they're getting into wanting to exercise because they can get into the gym now at 12 with an adult, you know, and they want to go. And they want to they get buff, right? So doing push-ups. And we watched some transformation videos, and they're like, that's not real. Look at that guy. There's no way. But the truth is change can happen before you know it one way or the other. 
I can tell you there are some pictures not available to you but exist. And this used to be washboard. And I'm telling you, okay, made me feel better for a moment there. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It, I'm telling you, Brother Mike, it does feel like my man card got cut down a little bit. It's a little shorter. Um, all right. Well, in, in the writer of Ecclesiastes 5.5 5 says, it's better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. That's the truth of it. Think of this in the context of marriage. I, I've preached some, sermon, uh, some weddings now, some sermons at some weddings, some sermons at some people getting married. I've, I've done that too. And, and invariably, in the ones I've heard my dad say, is sometimes the minister will say, this man and woman should not enter into this marriage covenant lightly. This marriage covenant lightly. Why do they say these words? Because we should have done that commitment considering the cost. Can you know that their feet stink worse than you thought when they're dating because they put extra smelly stuff on it and then once they got you, they don't care? Could you have known that? No. But you need to count the cost that who you're getting, you are committing, no matter what you find out later, you have committed before the Lord that I'm with them, better or worse, sickness and health, till death just apart. And how important is it? You look at God's word and how he references us as the church and Christ, we are the bride of Christ. He, he, he puts the highest importance of the marriage vows on us when he says, this is how I see the church. It's like a marriage. When you come to know Christ, it is like a marriage. You are the bridegroom. He is a bride. You are forever and eternally together. Now, we know in heaven, the Bible says there's no more male or female. There's no more man and wife and uh, daughter and son. We are just children of God, and I think that's awesome. The fact that my boys, even though I've had authority over them and raise them up in that responsibility that we stand side by side as equals worshiping lord and you know what the closer i feel like i get to christ when i worship i feel that way about them we have real conversations like guys when you messed around you took from me time with the lord and service because i'm responsible for you it distracts me and i need that time with the lord i'm not trying to reason with them we don't do reasoning in our house because if they balk that after i give them a little bit of grace and saying that i say listen to me then you do it again <laughs> you know if we have to go there but but God is blessing as we are able to talk about those things and realize the importance of worship. You know, um, my parents are worshipers and taught me to worship. But even when my kids want to go sit back with my mom, Papa, my question to them is, are you still going to worship the God with same intensity back there as you are here? Because sometimes location does matter because of distraction. Depends on who's in front of you. Somebody set against worshiping the Lord and maybe struggling just may discourage you. So, I have to look out for their best interests, even among all the people I love and I shepherd. I find it interesting that Jesus' teaching about keeping our commandments comes immediately after having taught about adultery and divorce. Now listen, if you are a divorced person today, God's grace is sufficient to cover all things. And listen, it may truthfully and all truthfully be that you tried your best and it was the other person. You know, we all say everybody had a part in it. But I'm going to tell you, I, I have seen a few situations where I scratch my head and say, I'm not really sure that other person had a part. And I'm not just trying to exonerate you, but I'm going to talk really hard here. Whatever happened in the past is a past. You asked forgiveness. You've gone on. God, God's given you grace over that. But listen, from this moment forward, don't enter into any covenant, marriage, or otherwise lightly. Learn from the past and say, God, show me that that just brings heartache. It's hard to recover. It's hard to ever get over that. All the complication, God's trying to protect you. 
I'm pretty sure Jesus planned the way to talk to that other right after. And then in Scripture also tells us Psalms 15. you got to love King David's heart because he came up from such humble beginnings, right? And, and, and rose to such great occasion, but yet struggled so hard and had so many triumphs and losses and disappointments and, and sin. And so when he calls out the Lord, I just really pay attention because I identify with the struggles and the victories. Who may I worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives and do what's right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Listen to this. Here's the warning. Those who refuse to slander others or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Those who despise persistent sinners. Despise persistent sinners. You love the sinner, hate the sin. Those who consistently, who know the truth and consistently despise tend to just want to sin persistently. The Bible also tells us, their scripture tells us, sometimes you have to separate from those people. Two reasons. One, so it doesn't drag you down. The other is, sometimes people have to let Satan kick them around a little bit before they get the idea, I don't want to serve him. That's a whole other sermon, but I just want to throw that in there. Those who despise per- persistent sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord. Honor the faithful followers of the Lord. You know, when I praise Nathan for all the work he's putting in, it's not because I don't appreciate when you come in. If you come in for a couple hours, do something. But, but I've seen him time, time again, give up sacrificially, work long, hard hours when he's worked just like you did long hours at a job. He's done all these things. Not everybody may have those skill sets or do that, but he does it. So I give honor to what he's doing for the Lord. It's, it's God we glorify for it, but I want to make sure he knows. I've told him many times, Nathan, if God ever leads you to full-time ministry, you know there's a place for you here at New Song because you have, you have done more than your share. We honor those who are faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. And listen, I'm not saying this to woe is me. Some of you have heard it. I've asked for prayer. But part of the reason I reached out for help from my presbyter to get someone to come alongside me is I can't, you know, at first I could just push through on this project. I get over little aches and pains. And now it's like my mind's tired, my body's tired, and I find myself wandering around out there like I don't know what to do. But I've got two boys and a little girl watching me. And I made a commitment before the Lord in this church that we would finish this. And so I know you lovingly and in rightfully so in wisdom say, hey, Pastor CJ, be careful. You're pushing too hard. Don't, don't do too much. I accept that. I receive that. But there's another side to it, too. You have to understand that my integrity's on the line. Because I have made a commitment before the Lord and to my family, to this church, we'll finish. And I'm the one that's leading us there. And so listen, it may hurt, but it's got to get done. And that's as a church in this state of where America is at. This is where we can win big. Some of the older generation here can probably testify that when you are a person who will put in the work to point it hurts. Remember when we used to in church talk about sacrificially giving till it hurts? And now we've gotten scared of people thinking we're all about the money and the pastors are just trying to get money. And so we kind of backed off from that. Truth is, God's principle is you give till it hurts and he takes care of all your hurts. Now you can take that too far. My dad comes from a generation where they didn't talk to him about work-life balance in Bible school. It's just you get it done, God takes care of your family. And, and consequently, a lot of pastors burn out because it's 80, 90-hour weeks and, and the family broke apart. And God was gracious and with a mom that, that backed him. And I have the same thing. God's blessed me. It can be done, but you still have to be mindful that my integrity also to my kids, because I made a promise to my wife to be her husband and have responsibility there. I made a promise to father my children. So I also have to keep my promises there. Verse 5, those who do not charge interest on the money they lend. 
that'd be a tough one, wouldn't it? For banks especially. And and those and and those who refuse to accept bribes to testify against the innocent. Such people stand firm forever. Uh, time after time in the Old Testament, we hear the prophets crying out to God for someone, someone who will live with integrity, who will do the work of God, and they beg God to send them people who did not lack in truth. And then we had this time where, like I was talking before, the mission and, the, and, and these parts of, the, the, uh, of Jewish history uh, of God's people, when they wanted so badly for nobody to disobey God's laws, they created other rules around the laws. So don't do this, don't do this, on top of don't do this. But then it started to get corrupted where then it started fitting um, people's fancies, right? And so they actually started making a law that says pretty much uh, is if you make an oath to God, that counts, but not if you make it to other people. You can break those. Don't break them to God. And, and then it got crazy where, hey, if you swear on the altar, then you don't have to do what you say, but it's a, it's a sacrifice on the altar. If you swear to that, then you got to do whatever you said. And it just it got weird, you know. You, you can swear by this, but you, and you don't have to do what you said, but don't swear by this. And they had all these things that, that was not in the heart of what God was trying to teach them. In Matthew 23, 16 through 19, we, we, see, we see the response to this. Blind guides, verse 16, it says, How terrible will it be for you? For you say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple. You can break that oath. But then you say that it's binding to swear by the gold in the temple. Blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And then you say, take an oath by the altar, and that can be broken, but not to swear by the gifts on that altar. That's binding. How blind, for which is greater, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred. Verse 20, when you swear by the altar, you are swearing by it and, and by everything on it. Verse 21, and when you swear by the temple, you are swearing by it and by God who lives in it. Verse 22, and when you swear by heaven, you are swearing by the throne of God and by God who sits on the throne. Now listen, how terrible it will be for you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest part of your income, but you ignore the important things of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Some people can be faithful givers. Oh, I tithe. I go to church regularly. I do this. But then they break commitments to everyone around them consistently. You should tithe, yes, but you should not leave undone the more important things it says. 24, verse 24, blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, and then you swallow a camel. Babe, I'm going to pick on you. It reminds me of like when we're doing diets. Or she's cooking healthy on a normal basis, but yet we have cookies so often. I always try to figure that out. It's like we're on this health thing, but we have cookies. But we did Body for Life. You should celebrate once in a while when you're being, so she, she does right. But I always joke about that. So what people are doing was making promises to others and then swearing to keep the promise by saying, I swear by the temple, I swear by my head, I swear by the throne of God, I swear by the earth, by Jerusalem. And basically their oaths were meaningless and they had no intention of ever keeping the promise. Uh, what about the one I swear on my mother's grave? And we're going to wrap up soon, but just, just hear me out. I don't know where that came from. It's morbid. I swear on my mother's grave. You know, I swear on my life. It's not your life to give. God is a giver of life. Jesus says, this is what you have heard being taught and being said, but I tell you, do not swear at all. He's not saying not make commitments. He's not saying don't make vows to that you keep. He's saying, be very careful before you make them. Make sure you can keep them. Your word is your bond. Your word is powerful. 
life and death by the power of the tongue. What he's telling those listening to him then is now that is no matter what you swear by, the earth, the temple, your head or anything, it all belongs to God. Therefore, all promises are made before God and human beings. What you make to others is made before God. Whether it's a marriage vow, your boss, whoever, you're stuck. When you make that, you're stuck. If you're making them and you can't fulfill them, then you need to not overcommit yourself. I had those questions in my mind about this building project at different points. God, did I overcommit me and everybody else? I'm expecting everybody to jump in here. Maybe I was just wrong. But you know what? I know it's like what we talked about. When you're on the mountaintop, pay attention to what God says and keep it in your heart and know for sure because when you get in the valley and you can't see uh, five feet in front of you, you've got to lean on those things God told you when you were certain. And I'm certain that we are on the right path and doing the right thing. So I know God's going to provide some way. Listen to this, parents, in, in the last part of this message. Here is the detriment. We're going to do parenting classes eventually when I get the courage to do them. I've been saying that for three years. I'm about to get the courage. I just know you're going to be watching me like the, the frozen caveman when, <laughs> with these kids once we do that. And so I'm, I'm a little nervous. But, but I know there's a lot have said, hey, look, I'd love to have a little help on parenting. And it's going to have to be the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to tell you one thing I do know. I've learned by hard knocks. I've watched it happen. You have to keep your word to your kids, even in discipline. I had to break it this week. I said, hey, if you guys come help me at the church, we will cut off early and we will go to the pool. And we'll cut off a little early that day and we'll spend some time. And the boys spent, you know, long hours. And they were happy doing it, doing the buffers and all that. But you know what? The day we're going to do that, I started feeling sick. And I was going to go. It was going to be torture. My wife had mercy. Lily was the only one not letting me off the hook. She finally convinced her, Daddy will be even more sick if we go. And so we made it for her. We went uh, yesterday uh, for some time. And Lily passed a swim test, so she now go off the diving board. And so it was good timing because she got brave enough to do that. And, and what, I'm ta- what I'm telling you is this. When you say you do that one more time, and I'm going to, maybe you're okay with spanking, maybe not, but I, I'm going to use spanking. You do that one more time, I'm going to spank your backside. Listen, they do it one more time, you don't spank the backside. Guess how quickly they learn. Hmm. It's not always 100% of the time that, that it's going to happen. So I'll take my chances next time. Guess what if it doesn't happen next time? Ooh, I have at least at this point, I have a 60% chance you know, 66.6% chance. And that, you know what that means, 66.6. So <laughs> now they're on the wrong path. You're leading them down the wrong path. <laughs> so uh, y'all, y'all are getting it now. All right. And so, um, you know, we've watched this with families. You cannot threaten your children. You must tell them the truth. We don't do empty threats. My boys in first service, they'll tell you, will dad throw away an expensive video game system if you do not do what I say when I've said it will go in the trash? It's not a, just a threat, is it? They saw it go in. Now, they called me on first service. I had to apologize because on the second video game system, it went in the trash. We actually repurposed it to somebody that could use it, and they found that out later from the other, uh, whatever happened. Shh, that's enough comment. <laughs> I apologize. You forgave me. But we did not tell them the exact truth on that one, and I had to, we didn't tell them the truth. There's not an exact truth. We didn't tell them the truth. But on the first one, it went in the trash, games and all. And it was hard because we knew the value of that, and it was a gift from someone that was hard. But once I said it, I was stuck. I said, if you do not do this, what I'm telling you you must do, as who God has put in authority over this house and you, then that will go in the trash with everything and win the trash. And those are hard lessons. That's hard for dad, too. Some of us are like, I can't do that to them. I mean, we spent the... Listen, 
you got to consider what you say before you say it. They are watching you like the frozen caveman. They will imitate what you do. And if they are not truthful with them, even in those things, they will not be truthful with you either. And you'll be scratching your head. Why is my kid lying to me? Well, they've been learning it for years from you. Remember the old, I was old enough to remember the old uh, drug prevention commercials? Where did you learn to do drugs? Where did you learn? I learned it from watching you, Dad. I'm not poking fun, but that was, it was emotional, right? They'd have these teens that the dads hammer them, and then they'd show that the dad had been doing stuff to you, and they'd seem. The truth is, is they will do what you do. And listen, this goes for evangelism. You cannot go out to win the lost and not keep your word to those who you're trying to evangelize. You can't do it in your job. You can't be doing things that people see are dishonest and expect them to say, hey, what you got? I want some of that. I can't tell you that Danny neighbors all the time how he is in a job, but I know there's a bunch of young men at a drug treatment place that when they were working with him at Simmons saw something in him and says, we want to come to your church. It's an hour away. Well, your church can pick us up, and we start picking them up. And I'll be telling that forever because that was just a God thing. you know. And I was proud of Danny as someone who represents Christ it's not just about new song, but, but people saw that. Do you think, does anybody think Danny ever failed at his work? <laughs> Don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. Start a church fight. I failed at my job, but God still used me. He is gracious. When we willingly, willingly sin, when we're a persistent sinner, then no, there should be no honor in that. But God will help us when we fail. The thing I want to do in closing is I want us to have a prayer of commitment. What we're going to do is we're going to close our eyes in a moment. We're going to just silence our hearts before the Lord. We're going to let the Holy Spirit examine us for a few minutes. He can work quickly. And, and I know because of our, our hunger in our bellies past noon, we need to, we need to yield the time. But, but we're going to give him a few moments, and then we're going to pray. I'm going to pray a prayer commitment I prayed in first service. I'm going to repray it, and uh, it's going to be truthful. And then you pray the prayer that God puts in your heart. Just still your hearts before him for a moment. Let's just bow our heads, close our eyes. Jesus, I just come to you, and I am sorry, Lord. There are times, I don't know what's wrong with me, Lord, when I lose my integrity. And God, after some of the hardest lessons I've learned in my life, Lord, from Bible college and leaving there in a bad way and having to come back and finish, and God, all of the stuff I've gotten myself into all through life, I, I don't understand why I can't just learn once and for all. But God, I know that when I do fall, and my heart is to follow you, that you pick me back up. God, whatever has happened in our past parenting, first of all, because this is so sensitive to our hearts, God, we love our children, and to think that we ever did anything that messed them up, it's just hard to get over. But God, you're a God of new beginnings, a new song in our heart, of restoration, and God, all those things that we've asked forgiveness for, the devil may try to bring them up, but they're done. You've forgotten it. You won't even allow yourself to remember it. And we thank you for that and praise you for it. But for these parents and grandparents here, God, those in workplaces where they're struggling to set that example and hold the highest integrity, Lord, to exemplify you, not just for their own pride or their own accomplishment, but with your strength and your power, by your word, Lord, live with integrity. To have this kind of structural integrity that won't leave anything in our lives lying in ruin, but God, that it be growth and flourishment, Lord, and just, Lord, blessings. God, I just pray right now for myself and my family. Lord, help me live with the utmost integrity for my children, my wife, to lead the way in this church. And I pray for each and everyone here as they make their commitments to you, God, and as you're examining their hearts, God, that we would leave here set in motion, Lord, with great resolve that we would never turn away from this effort 
to live with integrity by your word, with your strength, as we strive to be little Christ to lost and dying world. We thank you for it and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to worship and giving. We, we uh, had a little diversion earlier, um, a big diversion. So when we have our ushers come and just prayerfully consider what the Lord will have you do. Uh, if you have your regular tithe and offering, that's great. Don't forget your commitments to missionaries, a building project, anything you've committed to the Lord um, as we uh, worship him. That's Ken's note to remember offering. That's why I'm holding it up. All right, let's just go before the Lord. Lord, I thank you for today, God, and um, for the, the message, Jesus. Um, Lord, um, that you just bless this offering, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for today and pray that we'd have a good time tomorrow, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. love you guys and we just pray uh, as we conclude with worship and giving if you want to stay in fellowship great and stay as long as you like I know it's the, the lunch hour um, but we'd love to see you Wednesday night at 6 30 for a great time at God's word amen